Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the Unpoly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. We're on every weekday during this 43rd Ontario election campaign. Today, day three on the pod, the Liberals announce an optional return of grade 13. The NDP pitch a housing plan aimed at making the dream of home ownership still a reality. The Tories offer four new GO train stations for Durham Region. The Greens would offer free tuition for 60,000 young people in climate economy jobs. And we welcome Sabrina Nanji from the Queen's Park Observer to get her take on the first week of this campaign. It's Friday, May the 6th, 2022, so let's get to it. And with that, we are delighted to welcome Sabrina Nanji, reporter with the Queen's Park Observer, back to our little podcast here. Sabrina is going to be joining us every Friday, actually, during the writ period. Uh, We have come to the end of week one, Sabrina. So just let's start with a very neutral, open-ended question. What grabbed your interest this week? Well, uh, happy Friday, guys. We uh, we did it. We're here. <laughs> uh, feels like we've been in campaign mode for months. I don't know about you guys, but uh, uh, we're, we're in the thick of it now. And uh, I, I think probably the biggest takeaway is that the Conservatives are, are sitting pretty in the, the public opinion polls that we've been seeing. Uh, they're, they're probably heading into this weekend feeling very confident. Uh, and they haven't really put out anything that exciting uh, and are still doing very well in the polls. They're on track to uh, win a second mandate. I think maybe the more interesting question is whether that's going to be a majority or a minority. But uh, one of the big takeaways from this week, I believe it was a a forum research poll that put them well ahead of the the rest of the pack in the the 905 in Toronto proper. And this is like such a seat rich area, a lot of votes up for grabs, and that can make or break you when it comes to, you know, majority versus minority. Uh, Of course, politicians love to say the the only poll that matters is the one on election day on June 2nd, and, and they're right. Uh, although we do have a bit more advanced voting, uh, I, I should just throw that in there. But, uh, you know, campaigns matter. And so I think that uh, the, the Liberals overtaking the NDP uh, in, in the race for second place, I think that's shaping up to be the juicier, more compelling contest right now. Uh, they've been very effective at grabbing headlines so far. Uh, you guys mentioned grade 13, um, you know, last week. I believe it was last week. I'm kind of losing concept of of time in in this campaign (laughs) period already. But uh, they had, you know, buck a ride province wide that that cheeky play on the conservatives buck a beer. And of course, there's a lot of questions around some of the nitty gritty uh, of the the policies they're proposing. And and I hope we see more details in in their full, fully costed platform that they've promised us. Uh, But they've been very effective at getting people talking. And that might, uh, you know, be playing into them doing fairly well in the polls, uh, too. So I think, you know, uh, the, the polls is kind of the thing that's standing out to me so far uh, in these early days. There are always, you know, little things that you get to observe when you're, you know, out on the campaign trail, when you're at these events uh, as a reporter uh, covering these things. Uh, anything happen in the last few days that uh, didn't make it onto the TV cameras this week? Well, I think this made it onto cameras, but uh, maybe not 
maybe just as like a B-roll, you know, um, the, the photo op side of things. But I thought it was kind of cute. Uh, there were some beer p- pours uh, from, from Andrea Horvath, uh, the NDP leader. Uh, she was at uh, Nickelbrook in, in Burlington today pouring a, a brewski, you know, trying to paint her as an every woman. Stephen Del Duca was, was toasting a, a beer at a Hamilton pub, uh, which is actually Andrea Horvath's turf, because, uh, you know, kind of, kind of an interesting one. Um, Nickelbrook was a brewery that actually uh, had criticized Doug Ford and the conservatives buck a beer pledge, you know, suggesting that that would hurt small business so, you know, they're they're uh, trying to I, I guess the, it's that old adage, you know, you want to drink a beer with uh, someone that you'd vote for. Like that's uh, I think they're trying to paint themselves in that way. We we all know Stephen Del Duca himself has said that he's not the most charismatic guy out there. You know, he's a little self-deprecating about it. Uh, and I think that this is part of, you know, how the liberals are trying to define him and, and paint him um, uh, as someone you can. Yeah, you know, sit down and have a beer with. I think that all also is reflected in some of the ads that we saw from the liberals too this week, you know, uh, not so much attacking their opponents, uh, but, you know, trying to define Stephen Del Duca, who's who, as we know, has a lot of political baggage and not a lot of people know about him. And, and his opponents, of course, are, have been tying him to unpopular uh, win era decision making when, when he was minister uh, in, in that cabinet. Uh, but but the liberals are, are kind of painting him as uh, just an average Joe. Uh, you know, he he's making dad jokes with his two daughters. He's cooking with his wife in, in some of these ads. Uh, and I think it was a little uh, a little cheeky that he was on in uh, Andrea Horvath's territory in Hamilton, uh, Steel Town, you know, pouring a beer. And I think just, you know, personally speaking, when we're used to seeing these folks, you know, behind a podium uh, or even in question period being very serious, uh, holding the government to account as opposition parties, that's their job. It's kind of fun to see them, uh, you know, trying to, I guess, be be an every man, every person and, and drinking a beer at a pub. <laughs> It's hard, it's hard for politicians to act like normal people. I know what you're saying. But it's Sabrina, awkward. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd like your take on this. Uh, the two main opposition parties, the New Democrats and the Liberals, in this early stage of the campaign have been doing as many as four or five events a day, really getting out there. Uh, Doug Ford, conversely, and today was another example of the kind of campaign he's been running, one short 15-minute event with some people in the background He'll make a five-minute announcement, take 10 minutes of questions from journalists, and then he's out of there. What do we make of all that? Well, I, I think it, it depends. I mean, I, I I think the the underlying message that the Tories have been putting out there is that it's, you know, steady as she goes, um, status quo, uh, you know, and that, that message kind of seems to be resonating a little bit with the public, I think. You know, maybe after the tumultuous last two years of the pandemic, uh, they, they're they like, this is what's on the table. There's not much new coming from them. You know, we've already seen their platform, which was, you know, presented in the form of the budget uh, that never passed in the legislature legislature uh, not too long ago. Uh, they they keep teasing these announcements in their media advisories as, you know, Doug Ford's going to be making another announcement about getting it done. Um, and of course, you know, he he does have a lot of tough questions to face. I think, you know, Steve, you, you pointed out this week uh, online in your article that, you know, the, the one question, one follow-up uh, scrum, you know, pandemic era scrums that we've had, it obviously uh, is, is most beneficial to the guys in, in power, the powers that be, because it makes it harder to hold these politicians 
to account. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the premier wants to be all smiles, uh, you know, paint the picture that Ontario is back stronger than ever. Uh, and, and the less time for questions, uh, the less time there is to, to trip him up on that message. I think uh, I, I'm probably butchering this, but I know you know better than anyone that um, Bill Davis kind of had the mindset that that boring works. And, and maybe that's what they're they're peddling now. But I think, you know, it's still early in the campaign. And if the, the PCs start slipping in the polls, we might see uh, some more flashy promises from them and hopefully, you know, more opportunities to grill them on it. That was the most honest quote I ever heard from a politician at Queen's Park. And it came, I guess, about 40 years ago when Bill Davis was asked, why do you run such a bland, boring government? And his answer simply was bland works. And it sure did for him. Four straight wins in a row. John Michael, over to you. Well, well I was just going to say Sabrina has made both the obligatory uh, Hamilton and Bill Davis references for this podcast. That's so why she's coming back will... every Friday, John Michael. That's why we love her. <laughs> she's fitting in great. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Sabrina, you've mentioned the, the, the platform for the Tories being, you know, effectively the budget. And we've gotten so far very, very little that wasn't uh, already announced in the budget. The budget itself was the product of many weeks of, of pre-announcements. Um, do you think we're actually going to get anything new and or substantially new from the Tories uh, over the next few weeks? Well, like I said, I mean, I think it's going to come down to the polling, you know, public and even the party's own internal numbers there. Like, uh, obviously, the conservatives are, are trying to paint themselves as the the steady hand and, you know, a lot of flashy, gimmicky promises. I mean, they, they're not shy of, of those either. You know, we've got license plate renewal fee refunds. It's a, a bit of a mouthful, that one. Um, you know, they've uh, they're promising a tax cut for uh, folks earning up to $50,000. But again, that one, uh, that one was, was also leaked too. So I think, you know, in, in the days leading up to election day on June 2nd, we, we could see something. But I think right now, from what I'm hearing from conservative insiders is what they've put out there already is what's on the table and, and that's going to be it. Uh, but I think things could change, especially because the liberals are uh, doing pretty well, you know, uh, considering they were decimated in 2018. You know, their leader doesn't have a seat in the House. Not many people know him. There is a strong, you know, small L liberal brand in Ontario. And when we see their fully costed platform uh, in the coming days and weeks, they've, they've been putting things out piecemeal uh, that we might see, you know, the conservatives kind of sit up and, and maybe br bring something fresh in uh, that will bring people to the polls. Uh, you know, I think people tend to vote. Uh, for something or against something. And so if the Liberals can kind of uh, continue, you know, some of these compelling promises uh, that, that they might make the, the, the Conservatives, uh, you know, kind of give them a run for their money. Last question for me here, Sabrina, and that is yesterday, John Michael and I talked about the various presentation skills of the various leaders. And I happen to believe that presentation matters. I think how you communicate uh, is important, how confident you look. I'd like your view of how Stephen Del Duca and Andrea Horvath and Mike Schreiner have communicated their platform so far compared to Doug Ford, who four years into his premiership still can't read an announce, still can't do an announcement without reading it off a teleprompter. 
Yeah, I think even just some behind the scenes uh, gossip maybe is that he also has cues from his staffers to like when to smile. Um, so it's not just a teleprompter, but you're right, you know, voting is a visceral thing. And I think that, you know, seeing um, Horvath and Del Duca, you know, at a pub drinking a beer, like that was uh, a calculated move from them. I think Steven Del Duca is strong when he acknowledges that he's not the most charismatic. Uh, you know, he, he's ditched his glasses. Maybe that's that's helping him. I think uh, something that Kathleen Wynne had done in, in the last round, of course, it didn't, it helped her maybe with her own seat, but it didn't exactly help the party. Uh, but I think, you know, when, when Del Duca kind of acknowledges, you know, that in self-deprecating humor, he's not the most charismatic. Uh, he's got the dad jokes coming. Uh, that that can work in your favor. I think Angie Horvath has always been personable. Uh, it's more so uh, her policies and, you know, not creating more questions than answers answers on it. Like, I... Uh, I'm not sure why they released their platform, uh, you know, so early without it being fully costed ahead of the budget. Uh, maybe because they have a lot of similar policies with the liberals, they kind of wanted to be first out of the gate there and, and maybe take a bit of credit for it is one theory I've, I've heard being kicked around. Um, but, but I think, you know, uh, cult of personality matters in these things. You know, I, I know we've all said that Mike Schreiner punches above his weight. He's very articulate. I know us reporters like him because uh, when we need a, you know, a, a credit criticism maybe to kind of help, you know, uh, uh, show, show you know, all sides of, of what the government is is putting on the table. Mike Schreiner is the quickest with the quote. It's very punchy. Uh, he can get his point across. And, uh, you know, Doug Ford, I mean, I guess the teleprompter's kind of been working for him, but at the end of the day, he's his best when he's um, at those Ford Fest type events. I know he was at a Caribbean restaurant in, in Ajax and, you know, taking selfies with people. Uh, and so uh, he kind of excels in that area where I think the other leaders might be lacking a little bit. And so for Ford, that, that might help explain why he's not so much on TV and is out there, you know, pressing the flesh uh, on a more personal level with people. Uh, Sabrina, what do you uh, expect to see in the coming week? Okay, I am hoping for the liberal platform. <laughs> I know it's it's early days and it's kind of rare. I think you guys have pointed out on this podcast before to get, uh, you know, platforms uh, so early. I mean, technically from the NDP and the PCs before, you know, the official start of the, the campaign. Uh, and so there's a lot of questions from the liberals. I mean, they've been successful at, at grabbing headlines and getting people talking about what they've been putting out piecemeal. But there's a lot of questions about, uh, you know, the, the calculations behind it. And and so I'm kind of hoping for that. I'm waiting to see that. Uh, and same with the Greens as well. Uh, so I think we're going to see a lot more of kind of what we've been seeing lately, you know, glad handing around the province. Uh, and there's also the Northern debate as well uh, on May 10th. Uh, so, so and of course, Mike Schreiner will have a seat at that one, too, you know, as the lone Green. So it'll be very interesting to see how he performs in that one uh, as that party tries to grow their, their caucus of one. Yeah, I think it's a great point that you make in as much as the liberals have been sort of making hay about the fact that that the Tories brought out a platform as a budget that didn't pass. The NDP brought out a platform uh, without any numbers in it. Uh, but the liberals haven't brought out a fully costed platform either. So, you know, they're in a bit of a glass house on this one as well. Sabrina, we thank you very much for joining us and we look forward to seeing you every Friday during the writ period. Take care. Thanks, guys. That's Sabrina Nanji from the Queen's Park Observer. Uh, okay, John Michael, let's keep going here. And we want to talk about what the leaders did today. And let's start with Stephen Del Duca, the liberal leader who was in Kitchener today, uh, who made this intriguing announcement. Today, I am delighted to announce 
that an Ontario Liberal government will bring back an optional grade 13 for our high school students to be able to recover and to catch up given the chaos that they've had to go through over the past four years. He's talking about comprehensive, responsible, fully costed, a choice of grade 13 for four years and then reviewing it at that point. Give us some of the details around an optional grade 13 for those who want it. Uh, right. So this is Stephen Del Duca essentially formalizing what has been happening informally uh, quite a bit in Ontario high schools where uh, people, uh, I should say, you know, teenagers doing a, uh, a victory lap, they call it, right? Doing an extra year of classes after they complete uh, grade 12, usually to, you know, uh, improve their marks somewhat uh, and, and get themselves a little better prepared for university admissions. Um, what Del Duca is talking about would not be uh, a, a return to the the OAC uh, type of grade 13 that I did. I was one of the last years to do uh, OACs uh, because it would be entirely optional. Uh, the uh, What he, he's proposing uh, would be uh, four years of optional uh, additional courses for uh, students who are currently in the high school system who have had to suffer through the disruptions of the last two pandemic years, uh, this would give them an option to to recover some of that learning loss. Uh, the Liberals are saying that it would cost $295 million. Uh, they would also be... Uh, as part of their their overall education plan, uh, they want to hire new mental health professionals for schools, uh, 1,000 mental health professionals uh, and 5,000 new special needs professionals to uh, ad address issues like, uh, you know, students who uh, are not able to find other accommodations uh, who uh, have autism, for example. Um, and finally, and this one I think is, is interesting, uh, is they, they do want to expand the student nutrition program. This is one of my hobby horses because the fact that kids go to school hungry in Ontario um, is, is one of those things that really sets me off. And it's like, we know how to feed people. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like we should be able to solve that problem. Um, you know, of course, there are, uh, you know, hitches to all of these proposals. Uh, you know, Del Duca acknowledged that, uh, you know, they might not be able to get this rolling for uh, September of 2022. Uh, you know, and, and kids who are like graduating in you know, June, uh, and, and have already, you know, made plans for perhaps going to college or university in September. Obviously, they may not be able to uh, make use of this. But, you know, it, it is part of the uh, broader education pitch that the liberals are making. And, you know, as I mentioned yesterday, you know, uh, the, the liberal brand is, is still very closely associated with education policy. And you can see uh, Del Duca, I mean, this is the the policy that they have put a spotlight on for the first week of the campaign, you can really just see from the events what they are trying to get people to focus on. Indeed, not only uh, what you just mentioned, but also uh, the idea of a hard cap of 20 elementary and or secondary students per class, hiring 10,000 new teachers, building 200 new schools, renovating 4,500 others. Those are all part of his educational platform this week. I do have to, though, Mm, shall I do this? Yes, let's do this. I got to pick a little bit of a bone with something he said here today. Uh, and again, this was out of the Kitchener announcement. Let's listen. Disruption and chaos because the Ford Conservatives simply do not value or prioritize publicly funded education. Okay, really? Doug Ford doesn't believe in public education? I mean, you can say a lot of bad things about Doug Ford, but really? <laughs> 
I mean, my God, hyperbole in an election campaign. <laughs> Are you shocked? <laughs> I, fetch me my fainting salts. <laughs> Wait, no, it's the, the fainting couch or anyway. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's Friday, man. Um, no, I, I, I think, you know, you could see, uh, in, in fact, you know, Del Duca uh, did say that, you know, what he's talking about here is, you know, uh, in part the, the Tory government's uh, insistence on uh, mandatory e-learning, that that was something they wanted to do even before the pandemic. Um, and uh, certainly, you know, the Liberals are not alone in describing that as, you know, a, a partial privatization, because, you know, while it's public schools who uh, are responsible for, you know, uh, uh, still having the the distance learning option, a lot of the vendors who uh, make those materials available to schools are private companies. Uh, of course, I think at this point we have to sort of uh, full disclosure. TVO is also a, a government partner in delivering e-learning, and we have been since forever. <laughs> so, um, not us. We, we should add, not us. No, no, other side of the building. Other side of the building. That's yes. right. Well, let's talk about what Andrea Horvath had to do today. And as we suggested yesterday, she and Del Duca have both been out there with a lot of events. Um, You know, the premier may only do one a day, but the liberal and NDP leader have been doing four and five events a day. And on Friday, Andrea Horvath did two events in Burlington. She did two more in Brampton. Let's hear a snippet of some of that. But I've heard far too many stories over a number of years now, and it's gotten a lot worse. Stories of young people who have absolutely given up hope. Uh, What we are saying is there is hope. And there is hope because we can can make a change in Ontario so that you you do have a, a, a pathway forward to be able to, to buy your own home, to be able to live in your own community. All right, that's the NDP housing policy, which goes something like this. They'd roll it out over 10 years. They'd build 1.5 million new homes, make those available for people to purchase and rent affordably. Uh, there would be, they suggest, because of this policy, a spur in the development of new housing, 250,000 units over a decade through Ontario Housing, so that's publicly funded housing. Uh, Horvath said she really doesn't like these ministerial zoning orders that are being used, she says, as a sledgehammer to planning. She wouldn't use them as the Conservatives have, she insisted. She believes they have rolled over local councils, and she wouldn't do that. She'd also offer rent supplements uh, for tenants who maybe uh, can't afford the rent, and therefore, you know, this would top up their ability to afford market rental units. Uh, You've also had some more to say on the website about this as well. Right. I I wrote something for uh, TVO.org earlier today, uh, and I I think that's notable here. The NDP are basically adopting the target that uh, was set by the the Tories' own affordability task force. You know, 1.5 million homes over 10 years. That was the goal that the affordability task force uh, set for the government. And then the, the government brought forward legislation that I think even they would concede is not on its own going to get them towards that goal. Um, So at the moment, we have this consensus uh, among the four major parties that the housing crisis in Ontario is only going to be solved by uh, building a a lot more uh, new homes. And, you know, it marks a shift for the NDP. Uh, This is effectively an addendum to the housing plan they had already announced last year. Uh, And, you know, I I, I think it makes a, a much uh, stronger, a bit more of a, a co- coherent uh, housing document that that um, really pulls on more levers, of course, if they were to form government, which is obviously still contested. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to give Horvath some more props here because 
she not only did a lengthy press conference. Well, let me let me let me put it this way. In distinction to the way Doug Ford does his press conferences, where he maybe makes five minutes of announcements off a teleprompter, takes 10 minutes of questions and he's out of there. The whole thing takes 15 minutes. Andrea Horvath made her announcement today. Uh, and she was still taking questions a half an hour later from journalists who had a lot of questions about the details of this housing plan. And she stayed there and answered them all. And I got to tell you, it was in Burlington. The sun was hidden behind the clouds the whole time. And by the time the news conference was over, she had this to say. I know I'm, I might look a little bit um, strange this morning, but I'm freezing. So <laughs> I'm not tense. I'm freezing. <laughs> it's, hopefully uh, May will uh, bring some warmer weather for us. But thanks for your uh, your time this morning, everyone. You know, we were just talking about the the importance of uh, appearances uh, in yesterday's episode. And, you know, uh, to, to reiterate, I don't think either of us thinks this is like the most important thing in the campaign, but it's also not nothing. And, you know, I thought Horvath, uh, you know, she she showed a little bit of humor about it. It was just a, a little bit of, of fun on a Friday while acknowledging that, you know, there was a little bit uh, that, that I think she was worried that she was not coming off as as you know, 100% her best as she could just because it was so cold. <laughs> and in fact, it was a very authentic human moment. So yes. kudos to her for that. All right, let's look at the Tory campaign today. Doug Ford was in Bowmanville, which is a, a city in Durham region, uh, out in the construction field. You know, Doug Ford says he's the guy who's going to get it done. He wants to build. So, of course, there was a backdrop of guys wearing hard hats, a bulldozer, lots of apparent construction about to take place. I just love this part of my job, getting out and visiting the people, getting out of the bubble of Queen's Park and and listening to the real people and their concerns. Yes, as he always does, he read his announcement off a teleprompter. Uh, The announcement basically was they're going to extend the GO train service to Bowmanville, four new GO train stations for the region as well, price tag $730 million for all-day, two-way, every 15 minutes service to Bowmanville. Uh, the premier insisting he doesn't have to choose between transit and highways. We can have both. Now, that's the, you know, we've been putting these announcements through the uh, through the ringer here, the strengths and weaknesses. Uh, the idea of enhanced GO train service sounds pretty good, especially if you live in Durham region. However, John Michael, the liberals were quick to add a little fine print on the announcement today. You want to go into that? Sure. Of course, uh, Stephen Del Duca was the former transportation minister uh, for a, a period under uh, Kathleen Wynne's government, uh, and he's very happy to take credit for announcing in 2016 that the Ontario government would expand uh, the GO train network to Bowmanville. Uh, construction was set to begin in 2019. Um, of course, the 2018 election uh, intervened, and um, this was one of those projects that got uh, delayed while the uh, Ford government, uh, you know, and uh, I think I would at least generously say or charitably say that, you know, every government gets to reassess projects when they take power and the Fords reassessed uh, the, the, the the plans for the GO network after they took power, but it did delay the uh, uh, what had been announced for construction to Bowmanville. Uh, so, uh, you know, liberals basically saying like, okay, okay, fine, you're announcing this, but hey, like, there's some history to this as well. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing about some of these announcements. Doug Ford, of course, is positioning himself as the guy who's going to build everything, when in fact, Stephen Del Duca already announced many years ago that he was going to build that, and it was the Tories who put it in deep freeze for a while. But anyway, this is the this is the funniness of politics. I want to get back to something, if I can, and Sabrina touched on this earlier in our interview with her, and that is the piece I wrote uh, for TVO.org earlier this week, where we are now in a situation 
where journalists are permitted one question and one follow-up when they do interviews with the leaders. Andrea Horvath was a notable exception earlier this week in as much as she just did a freewheeling scrum uh, with uh, members of the media in front of her campaign bus before she hit the road. I think that's the first one in maybe two years, right, since COVID that we've seen that happen. Uh, even Stel uh, Stephen Del Duca is doing the one question, one follow-up, although he's not completely rigid on the choreography around that. But the premier still is. And Doug Ford is still doing one question, one follow-up, which basically means that if he wants to sort of skate through the initial question and then skate through the follow-up, it's really difficult to get a straight answer out of him. And our friend Rob Benzie from the Toronto Star today in Bowmanville asked the Premier for a comment on Stephen Del Duca's plan to bring back grade 13. And Doug Ford said, well, let me tell you, the Liberals had a failed record on education Yada, yada, yada. He totally dodged the question. But because it was one question, one follow-up, Rob asked him again, okay, that's interesting, but what do you think about grade 13? And Ford basically gave the same answer. He basically gave a just an attack on liberal education policy in the past without actually giving an opinion about what he thinks about bringing back grade 13. Um, he, I think he fears that he gets in trouble when he starts freelancing on things uh, that have not really been discussed with his staff. And since the grade 13 announcement for the Liberals was not something I guess he was aware of or knew what he wanted to say about it, he just sort of went off on a tangent. And because of the one question, one follow-up rules, uh, you know, Rob Benzie wasn't able to come back at him again and again and again, if necessary, in order to get some answers. I find this very frustrating. I wonder what your take is on it. No, I, I do find it frustrating. I, I found it frustrating, you know, through the pandemic, of course, you know, I, I, reporters accepted the necessity of um, that format uh, th at the beginning of the pandemic, because it was a matter of, you know, just trying to keep some organization to uh, teleconferences, which is like the only way we've been able to do interviews, or at least it was at the beginning of the pandemic for and for quite some time thereafter. Uh, but we're now, you know, two years uh, after the fact. Uh, most of the public health measures have been lifted uh, at Queen's Park, lots of MPPs walking around without masks on. You would think that we could go back to a more uh, freewheeling format, um, especially outdoors, as this event today with uh, PC leader Doug Ford was. Um, Thank you for doing that, incidentally. I've made that mistake twice now in this podcast. You called him PC leader Doug Ford, which is actually what we are supposed to, according to protocol, call him. Yes, technically, he's still the premier, but during the writ period, they're all supposed to be sort of at the starting gate with nobody with an advantage. So, yes, PC leader Doug Ford. Thank you. Yeah, yes, a, a, a journalistic style that we adopt. He is still the premier and will be even after the election, but we will, as a, 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 a nod to fairness, refer to all of them as party leaders. Um, but yeah, no, I would just say that uh, this is also, I think, uh, in part, still the, the front runner strategy we've been talking about, you know, don't make any waves, minimize the ch chance for any big mistakes. If you get a question that you're not expecting, give a, a rote answer and just get through the scrum without making any kind of unforced errors. Wait until the cameras go off and and you know, if you haven't made any serious mistakes, just go dark until the next announcement. Which is why Mr. Ford's uh, handlers allow him about 10 minutes of questions, which, you know, the way he answers questions is about maybe four or five questions. And then that's it. And I well remember, uh, oh gosh, how many years ago was it now? 
well, I guess it was back in the you know earlier part of the last decade when Stephen Harper started that practice in federal election campaigns. Five questions. That was it. No members of the press gallery, actually, or very few, got to ask the questions. It was almost always a local reporter who got to ask the questions who, and I say this with all due respect, who maybe don't know uh, the ins and outs of federal politics as well as the uh, members of the National Press Gallery did. It was an effective strategy for Stephen Harper to, you know, have as... uh, to minimize the chances of making a mistake as much as possible. And I see Doug Ford doing the same thing right now. And frankly, I don't know what we can do about it. No, I, I don't know that there's much we can do, uh, you know, aside from <laughs> grouse on our podcasts. Um, but uh, I, I would say there's always a risk to a front runner strategy, right? I mean, voters can uh, change their minds about somebody, uh, you know, uh, they changed their mind about Stephen Harper in 2015. A front runner strategy can fail on you. And, uh, you know, you could find yourself suddenly having to play catch up. And uh, at the moment, I would say that, you know, maybe Doug Ford isn't working some muscles he might need later in the campaign. And that's something I will just sort of put out there for maybe somebody in Toryland to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know one guy who's working out his muscles in terms of campaigning, and that's Mike Schreiner. So let's do a word here for the Green Party leader who was in London, Ontario today, offering to subsidize the creation of 60,000 new so-called green jobs for young people. He says youth unemployment is still too high, even if the overall unemployment rate of the province is pretty low. Uh, particularly, he says, among racialized people, and he would spend the money required to create apprenticeships for those workers so young people could get some good green jobs and start their careers. I'm here today to say that it is time to invest in the jobs of the future, not the polluters of the past. John Michael, what else uh, as it relates to the green leader? Uh, well, the, the Greens are uh, very close to having their full slate of 124 candidates uh, ready to go. Uh, he said in uh, London today that they are almost there. Uh, he says 65% of his candidates will be from equity-seeking groups. We uh, discussed the New Democrats uh, and uh, their, uh, I believe it was 80% of uh, their candidates uh, will be from uh, one or more equity-seeking groups. So, uh, you know, I, I know there's, you know, you can get into hair splitting about uh, you know who thinks they are uh, a, a progressive party and who isn't, but I would just say you know the Greens as an opposition party. I think we can call them that. Um, you know they are uh, certainly going to, to put on a, a pretty uh, substantial showing, and they are uh, certainly I would say you know they they are looking to to do their strongest campaign yet. Uh, whether that actually materializes in more than one MPP uh, as they had in the last legislature uh, is of course yet to be determined. <laughs> There was one intriguing item that I saw on the calendar, on the political calendar coming up this weekend that I wanted to bring to everybody's attention as well, just before we sign off here. And that is Lucille Collard, who was the Ontario Liberal candidate in the riding of Ottawa Vanier. She's going to kick off her campaign tomorrow. And guess who she's got coming to be the guest speaker at her campaign kickoff event? I saw this as well. Uh, she is going to have the former uh, Ontario Premier, former former Ontario Liberal leader Dalton McGuinty as the uh, special guest for her uh, her campaign kickoff. I found this intriguing because, of course, Mr. McGuinty has kept an extremely low profile since he left public life in oh my gosh, help me with the year two thousand and thirteen. 
Yeah, but, yeah to, sorry. I guess formally the the handoff uh, from uh, from uh, Dalton McGinty to Kathleen Wynne happened in 2013, but he announced his resignation in 2012. Right, and you know, in the almost decade since then, um, you know, he has done precious few public events. I think I can think of one speech he gave at the University of Toronto. Um, he might have done an, one fundraiser for the Liberal Party um, a few years ago, but save and except for that, I I can't recall him doing anything else, and he has. He has kept his head down in part because I think he thinks I did my bit for the party and for politics and now I'm on to something else. And in part because he left office uh, under a very controversial cloud and as a result um, wanted to let some time go by before he picked his head up again. But the fact that he is uh, going out to help his friend Lucille in this upcoming election campaign suggests that at least in eastern Ontario, the McGinty name still has some magic and may do some good for the party. Uh, yes, I suspect that uh, it certainly won't hurt. And uh, I just, w- one story, uh, if I may, in 2014, after the uh, Liberals under Wynne had won a majority, uh, as you say, McGinty had left office under a bit of a cloud. He had been nowhere to be seen through the entirety of the campaign. I think he was actually in the States at Harvard at that point for a while. Um, and But he came back to the legislature uh for the 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 ceremonial uh, swearing in of Wynne's new government, and uh, of course the Queens Park Press Gallery scrummed him, and uh, he, there was just this moment where the 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 <laughs> the horde of reporters descended upon him like jackals, and you could see for just a split second he he like he. he it looked like he might he was alarmed and then it, it, like his his reflexes kicked back in and he remembered what was happening <laughs> you could it was like a, a an old baseball player getting back into his stance like ah yes yes okay i remember how this goes now and then he took a few questions and it was you know it was, it was just a a queen's park scrum again for him <laughs> yeah i remember that day and i i remember he was probably thinking to himself this is kathleen wednesday and i probably shouldn't do interviews and take attention away from her uh, but here I am again, <laughs> surrounded yes. by the jackals, as you say. Yes. <laughs> Good. Well, during the writ period, we're going to do our quotes of the week on Friday, and that's today. So we'll present one quote from each of the four major party leaders, and we'll have those immediately after we ask you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You know we love your feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. You can also shoot us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. Uh, we also want to remind you to read our weekly On Poly newsletter, which drops every Tuesday. Uh, you can subscribe to that at tvo.org slash onpoly newsletter. And the newsletter this week, what are we going to do? We're talking about transit, right? The competing transit plans out there? Uh, yes, indeed. Okay, so people can look for that. Lots to talk about transit. Indeed, indeed. All right, here come our quotes of the week, and you will recognize their voices by now. Doug Ford, Andrea Horvath, Stephen Del Duca, and Mike Schreiner. First of all, the U.S. Supreme Court has absolutely zero jurisdiction in Canada. We are not changing anything in Ontario. We're keeping it exactly the same. Conservatives have. Uh, what they've done is, you know, rolled over the uh, the consultation process. They've rolled over the will of local councils uh, and have decided that uh, it's their way or the highway, or maybe it's the highway is their way, <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless. Our projections are that 400,000 cars will be taken off the roads with Buck a Ride province-wide. If that ends up being 600,000 or 700,000 cars, my, good, my goodness, we'll have a party. We'll have a party because that's better for the environment. It's better for our quality of life. Let's be honest for a second. This is likely the most important election of our lifetime. 
because it's clear that it is now or never to address the climate crisis. Well, not that we're having a competition or anything here, but I'm going to give week one to Horvath on quote of the week because I thought that was a pretty clever quote, which I look, look, she might have had it in her hip pocket going into that press conference, but I don't think so. No, I it think she, it, it looked like she came up with it on the spot, eh? Yeah, yeah, no, I I liked that one. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I think uh, I, Del Duca's "We'll Have a Party" was also you know a little bit of fun that that, that seemed spontaneous. Um, you know, they're starting to to hit their groove, and I think that we're going to see a bit more of that. Here, here. Okay, JMM, this week's episodes were produced by Katie O'Connor, edited by Matthew O'Mara, production support from Nikki Ashworth, Albert Wisco, Jonathan Hallowell, and Daniel Kitts. Special thanks as well to Sabrina Nanji for joining us, as she will every Friday. That's day three of this 43rd general election campaign. JMM, we'll see you on the hustings on Monday. We'll see you Monday, Steve.